0: KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego Art Power. Welcoming the renowned Jack Quartet to San Diego for an evening of music titled Modern Medieval with works by Caroline Shaw, Morton Feldman and more. Monday, May 6th at The Loft at UC San Diego, artpower.ucsd.edu.
1: A red flag warning heightens wildfire fears in San Diego.
2: And what it typically means is increased fire danger. And that's the case today.
1: I'm Maureen Cavanaugh with Mark Sauer. This is KPBS Midday Edition. Some rare good news about reversing climate change.
3: We can change behavior. We just have to choose to do so.
1: The pandemic has boosted bike ridership significantly in San Diego, but will it last? and a roundup of what the pandemic has done and is doing to San Diego team sports. That's ahead on Midday Edition.
4: Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com.
1: Most of San Diego County is under a red flag warning today. As temperatures rise, humidity plummets and Santa Ana winds pick up, especially inland. As the potential for fire increases here, Several wildfires are burning through California's wine country, with 11,000 acres burned and thousands of people leaving their homes to escape the flames. San Diego's dangerous weather is expected to continue with unseasonable heat in the forecast almost to the end of the week. Joining me is National Weather Service meteorologist Alex Tardy. Alex, welcome back. Thanks for having me on. Now, what kind of weather conditions should we expect today in various parts of San Diego?
2: Okay. well, right now, uh, Monday morning, you know, we're looking at Santa Ana winds already picked up across our backcountry, our foothills and mountains. It's important to understand when we talk about Santa Ana winds, it's coming from the east. It's a dry wind. It comes across the deserts. And what it typically means is increased fire danger. And that's the case today. Um, It doesn't mean you'll feel wind at the coast or the beach. In fact, that'll be calm the next couple of days. But what it does mean is very dry hot conditions basically removing the ocean marine air that we love to have and we've been having cool nights lately because of it removes all that and brings the desert air over San Diego County
1: Is this a more severe red flag warning than last time when we saw the start of the valley fire
2: I would say you know they're similar The difference with the Valley Fire start was we had all-time record highs. So it was 110 to up to 115 between Alpine and El Cajon that Saturday when the Valley Fire erupted. So just dangerous heat, uh, all-time heat. In this particular event, it's going to be hot. It's going to be between 100 and 105 along the I-15 corridor and points east up to Alpine. So that's hot but that's not as hot. Um, wind speeds should be very similar. So our backcountry, you know, has already seen wind gusts 30, 40 miles per hour. Those wind speeds will happen again. And I think they're going to peak out. We'll see our strongest winds in San Diego County foothills actually Tuesday morning. So the red flag warning has been extended into Tuesday morning.
1: Now we've been hearing for weeks about fires ravaging areas in Northern California. How has their weather Been different from ours
2: yeah so basically what's been happening really since july but especially in august and september is the heat waves that have been occurring over southern california have actually extended far north all the way up to oregon uh, across nevada so what we've been seeing is very broad extreme warm temperatures in fact august was the hottest on record for all of california I think September's going to come in pretty close to being one of the all-time hottest across our area. We've never seen conditions like this hot and, and really statewide all across the region. And that's, bottom line, been driving some of these fires. Now, on top of that, we have seen some wind events even in September. And the fire that's ongoing right now in Napa, Santa Rosa area, that's a wind-driven fire. So that wind that they received on Sunday is now just moving down here into San Diego County. So it's a combination of things, but overall temperatures have been driving. Temperatures make things dry. They make the fuels or the vegetation dry and really receptible to any fire start.
1: You know, I heard in a forecast that even though the red flag warning is going to be expiring probably tomorrow, uh, that dangerous fire conditions will continue. What's the difference between dangerous fire conditions and a red flag warning?
2: Yeah, so that's a good question. So typically when we talk about red flag warning, think of a flag. Uh, you know when the wind blows, the flag is showing itself off and, and it's very obvious. What's going to happen this week is sure, we're seeing the wind now and we're going to see the wind intensify and be even stronger. Again, in the foothills, in the mountains of San Diego County, not on the beaches, not on the coastal cities, those areas will be calm. But when we get into Wednesday and Thursday, people are going to be complaining because the heat's not going to go away. It's going to be just as hot, even in some of our coastal areas. But the difference on Wednesday and Thursday is the wind's going to be much lighter. So we don't have the red flag conditions per se with the wind. But if you have a fire start when the temperature is 102 and the humidity's And given how dry the fuels are that we talked about, that fire is still going to burn. It just may not be as fast or as
1: aggressive. It's still going to be dangerous. Is there any break in sight from these hot and dangerous fire conditions across California?
2: I actually have some good news. So mid-October, it does look like a cooling trend and and actually maybe temperatures back to average or even a little bit below average in in mid-October and dare I say, even maybe some precipitation, at least for parts of California. Can't guarantee we'll be wet in Southern California, but there is a slight chance. Then unfortunately, the latter half of October is is looking really warm or warmer than it should be. And we're probably going to get back into those Santa Ana conditions. So we got about a week here all the way through, you know, next weekend to deal with this heat in a a very slow cool down next friday and saturday very slow cool down next friday saturday but the good news is middle of october it does look like a little break so maybe we'll have like a week of coolish type fallish weather
1: good (laughs) thank you alex for that little bit of good news i've been speaking with national weather service meteorologist alex tardy thanks so much no thank you for having me on
5: The news is relentlessly bleak and scary. Record heat and wildfires in California and the West. A parade of deadly, destructive storms in the Atlantic and Gulf of Mexico. 100-degree temperatures in the Arctic. Massive ice sheets breaking up in Antarctica and Greenland. All happening amid a pandemic. Yet in the Washington Post comes a headline of hope. Stopping climate change could cost less than fighting COVID-19. The co-author of that bright essay joins me now. Rick Parnell is president of Foundation for Climate Restoration and a former chief operating officer of the United Nations Foundation. Welcome to Midday Edition.
3: Thank you. It's great to be here.
5: Well, the essence of your essay is as hopeful as it is eye-catching. You're right. As it happens, we can make a very real difference against climate change for less than we've already spent to fight the coronavirus. That's still trillions of dollars. But compare the estimated costs of climate change, if we fail to address it worldwide now, with the solutions that you're proposing.
3: Yeah, I would say that um, by a magnitude of we've had estimates of everything times 10 plus of what it will cost on an, on not only over the long term, but on an annual basis, if we don't react now. For us at the Foundation for Climate Restoration, we believe and what we are working with partners to do is to make climate restoration, um, specifically around carbon removal and some of the other solutions, the third pillar of climate action. One of the things that's little known is that even if we reach to a net neutrality in 2050, the legacy carbon of two centuries will still be in the atmosphere. So the fires that you you just spoke about, the, the, the storms, the flooding, the sea level rise, it'll still be here. So we have to do this third piece, this third piece of climate action, and that is restoration and remove all of this legacy carbon. As you said, good news is we can do this at cost-effective and we can do it at scale with solutions that are already on the market or emerging now.
5: Right, and you argue that not only can we halt the expansion of greenhouse gases, but actually reverse climate change, clean the air and water, as it were, and restore a livable planet. How could it be done?
3: Um, Through, there's several solutions. There's natural solutions and there's technological solutions. But let me just focus a little bit on some of the technological right now. A perfect example is uh, carbon-negative concrete. There are a handful of companies that have come online over the last couple of years that can actually remove carbon, turn it into synthetic limestone for the the production of concrete. So what that means is that you have a market that's already there. We're not going to stop building. The developing world is not going to stop building. The developed world is not going to stop building. So here is a solution that can rapidly, um, for no uh, uh, maybe 1%, 2% cost difference between traditional concrete and this new carbon uh, uh, negative concrete, we can scale buildings. Santa Clara County was the first local government in the world to call for their local uh, county uh, commission to be uh, a climate restoration, and we're working to spread that globally. Look at um, if we could grow the kelp um, in the ocean. Um, It was in one of the pieces that was in the article. Um, It grows two feet a day, and it has the advantage of that it can be farmed not only for um, human consumption, but it can be feed consumption. It, it's used in beauty products. And so there's already a market there for it. We just need to grow it. The, the point of the entire story was we can change behavior. We just have to choose to do so.
5: Well, talk a little more about these direct air capture systems. So we have so much pollution in the air now, which is causing the, uh, the warming and the climate change. How do you actually reverse that with these air capture systems?
3: What, we, what we're we talking about is that you remove the carbon from the air. You can turn it in. Some of it can be um, sequestered underground permanently. Some can be turned into products that can be somewhat of a recycling of, um, of carbon. So they can be turned into things like jet fuel. That's not a perfect climate restoration solution, but it's a path. Um, and then um, still others, they are developing uh, products where you use the direct air capture machines um, and they can be uh, deployed at scale um, to remove the carbon and turn them into useful products uh, Climworks is doing carbon carbon engineering is working on it um, the director capture has a, a, a very very promising future for us getting to full climate restoration
5: uh, but this is worldwide uh, Can these mitigation methods possibly be cost effective if they're if they're done worldwide?
3: they can be because they can be done in, in both the private sector and with uh, government policy so again, um, there's about uh, six, 650 different carbon removal um, operations that are both tiny um, and large around the world. Um, and they're they're growing um, every day. So yes, they can be. What we need is that the private sector comes in with the beginnings investments, um, seed capital for some of these different solutions, then local governments can take them to scale because they can do it through their planning and procurement. So yes, absolutely.
5: Yeah, it sounds like Joe Biden is making the uh, the same argument with his build back better uh, part of his campaign. Now, when you make these arguments, you put forth these proposals, uh, I'm interested in the response you're getting from leaders and lawmakers. How can we possibly get united leadership on this among hundreds of nations and different political systems?
3: Well, I think that the biggest thing is that people need to use their voice. So when, when you know, let me, let me talk more about the movement that we're building um, for climate restoration. We have so many different partners ranging from Earth Day Network to the Girl Up campaign to um, faith leaders, you know, the, the Pope called on climate restoration in a letter on, on September 1. Um, he talked about it for our common home. So more and more and more, you're seeing this out there. Um, I think that using your voice and demanding it, um, as we like to say, climate restoration should be happening in the pews. It should be happening at school, at work, wherever you are, you should be calling on your leaders to do climate restoration. So uh, you know, a year ago, when we launched the foundation at the United Nations headquarters during General Assembly, it was an idea uh, around climate restoration, and it was, it was somewhat nascent. And we just finished our second annual uh, Global Climate Restoration Forum, and we had unbelievable um, turnout. We had incredible speakers. Um, we had 40, I think 40 or 42 different um, leaders talking about the investment opportunity, the science behind it, calling for climate restoration. So I, I think that it's the, the biggest thing is using voice. We can change behavior. We have to choose to do so. And if, if once we have critical mass of people asking for this, then we'll make the change. One of our speakers, Christine Harada, she was uh, the chief uh, sustainability officer for the United States under the Obama administration. And she said 10, 15 years ago, investment in wind um, and solar was, was pretty iffy. And look at that market now. So, you know, I have another partner that has said, the work that you're doing is 10 years in the future. Yes, it is. So we start now and build this next 10 years of the future that we want.
5: So Build Back Green, it's a simple concept, a, a simple slogan. Do you think Build Back Green can be the uh, the campaign going forward?
3: I would love to see that. I hope that we uh, in the U.S. can join the rest of the world on a global green campaign, but that would be our goal. One of the things that coming out of our second annual forum is that we've had investors, we've had entrepreneurs, we've had business leaders. How do we work together over this next 12 to 14 months so when we get to COP26, all sectors are calling on the UN and uh, global leaders to make climate restoration and carbon removal the third pillar of climate action.
5: Well, it's certainly good news in, a, uh, in an area in a discussion that is all too grim uh, far too often. I've been speaking with Rick Barnell, President of the Foundation for Climate Restoration. Thanks very much.
3: Thank you so much.
0: KPBS On Demand is supported by Bill Howe Plumbing, Heating and Air, Restoration and Flood Services. Family owned and operated for three generations, Bill Howe has been serving the plumbing, heating and air and water damage needs of the San Diego area since 1980 with their fleet of trained professionals. Bill Howe has the ability to service all major and minor plumbing and HVAC emergency needs 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Bill Howe is committed to providing excellent service to their customers with transparent quotes and attention to detail on every job. Whether you're in need of an HVAC installation, plumbing, or water damage restoration in San Diego, they offer the convenience of scheduling an appointment over the phone, online, or through live chat on their website. Call 1-800-BILL-HOWE or visit BillHow.com. because we know how.
1: This is KPBS Midday Edition, I'm Maureen Cavanaugh with Mark Sauer. During the COVID-19 pandemic, there's been a renaissance of bike riding in San Diego County. There's also been a decrease in bike crashes and injuries, perhaps due to lower traffic volumes. KPBS Metro reporter Andrew Bowen says, advocates see this moment as critical to whether that positive trend continues.
6: I'm biking with Oscar Tavera through Teralta Park, one of the stopping points on the self-guided Black, Indigenous, and People of Color History Ride. Tavera is a board member of Bike SD and helped organize a small group bike ride along the tour. Teralta Park was included because of its significance to the history of City Heights. The
7: site itself is a great visual representation of what can be achieved. Uh, The community organizers were able to advocate for this park after the State Route uh, 15 was constructed. It bisected the two communities, but this park was able to kind of join them together.
6: It's making street-level connections like these that Tavera sees as central to Bike SD's mission. And one of the few positives of the pandemic is that people have become more apt to get on a bike and explore their city. He and others are hopeful that the new habits stick after the pandemic is over.
7: Getting the people more comfortable with understanding the uh, logistics of the road and feeling just even being comfortable riding next to cars. I think getting those families and getting those daily commuters out of their cars and understanding that biking is a possible alternative, not every day, but most of the time, could be a good solution long term.
6: The Regional Transportation Planning Agency, SANDAG, measured a 42% increase in bike trips countywide from mid March to mid August this year compared to last year. Meanwhile, cyclist injuries from collisions were down 19 percent in the city of San Diego during that period. So more people are biking and fewer are getting injured.
3: And then as you get more people there, there is a critical mass and drivers become more
6: aware. And I think we have to do all of it. County Supervisor Nathan Fletcher also sees a window of opportunity to make lasting change to reduce traffic congestion and greenhouse gas emissions. His office recently launched a program to give away up to 400 electric bikes to county residents. He says e-bikes are especially promising in San Diego, which is spread out and has lots of hills.
3: And I think this program is a perfect complement to come at the right time to inject electric bikes in there, which are much easier to use as a commuting than a traditional bicycle. And so I think we really need to think about, as we come out of this, how do we maintain and expand the, the progress we've seen in, in this area?
6: One life lost is too many. One, one person injured is too many. Hassan Ikrata is executive director of Sandag, which gathered the cycling data. Sandag recently completed eight new traffic circles in the city of San Diego, meant to slow down cars and improve visibility of cyclists. Ikrata says they're an improvement, but they're still not enough. Eventually, we have to get to a place where we figure out how we separate bikes from traffic. And I think our long-term vision for San Diego region will envision a, a bike uh, network that will provide San Diego the ability to ride without be having a fear of hit by a car. Like Tavera and Fletcher, Ecrata hopes the increased interest in biking brought on by the pandemic will change mindsets around building new protected bike lanes. Some projects have been delayed by several years, often under pressure from residents who don't want to sacrifice any road space currently dedicated to cars. We need our communities to be willing to, to, to give up something they got used to just simply because we believe a multimodal approach to any community is a great way to sustain that community. Advocates say the great promise of the bike boom during the pandemic is expanding their constituency. Things like e-bikes and safe protected bike lanes can make biking more accessible to more people, like older adults or families with young children. Again, Oscar Tavera.
7: This could be a simple thing that you could start doing on the weekend, and it's not a 20-mile commute, but maybe just starting around your block in the neighborhood. I think that will kind of make the system last longer.
6: Andrew Bowen, KPBS News.
7: Joining me is
1: Andy Hanshaw, he's Executive Director of the Bike Coalition of San Diego County. Andy, welcome to the program.
8: Thank you, it's great to be here.
1: Now, we just heard about the significant increase in bike ridership during the last six months, which of course, corresponds with the shutdowns caused by the pandemic. But why do you think people seem to be riding their bicycles more during this time? I mean, they could just as easily drive around the city.
8: Yeah, I mean, it's been really interesting in a, in a good silver lining to all of this, but where people were starting to, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, uh, looking for outlets and avenues to, to actually just be outside, be active, and um, remain socially distant for health concerns and be in your family unit. And uh, it's nice to see that it's actually, you know, has happened during this time period. And we really wanna ride this wave uh, to continue to to encourage more people to ride more often
1: How has this increase in ridership affected bike shops around town
8: Well uh, you can almost talk to any one of them and they're they're struggling to keep inventory it's been a tremendous boom for bike shops and service and you know there there's a, a good uh, bad problem where you know it may take some time for your bikes to get serviced just from the backup, uh, people wanted to get their old bikes fixed up when this came out. People wanted to find new bikes. I mean, it's hard to find, and this is you know not just local. This is a, an issue nationally with the bike boom that's been going on. It's not just a San Diego issue, but but in a good way, more people riding. But there is a lot of demand on bike shops, and they've they're really having you know a time trying to keep up with the demand.
1: It's also now apparently safer to ride a bike than it was in the pre-pandemic days. And I know bike safety is a big part of your organization's mission. Tell us about that.
8: It's our top priority is to to make it safe and enjoyable uh, for anyone who wants to choose to ride. And so more people choosing to ride creates, you know, one, a a safety in numbers uh, idea where more people are riding, there's a greater awareness but also, we've been promoting the slow streets movement and creating safer spaces during this time for people to walk and bike and be outside. And uh, you know that was uh, has been a, a growing success at the City of San Diego and other cities across the county. We're at a real tipping point in the county. Um, you have the SANDAG Regional Bike Plan Early Action Program projects, which is an investment of 200 million dollars in, in new bike infrastructure uh, the kind that make it you know protected and safe for people to take these trips as well as you know more things like uh, the downtown mobility plan and all of it uh, helps uh, cities reach their climate action plan goals uh, reducing ghg emissions getting more people taking less car trips uh, it's translated into cleaner air and good results for uh, mode share goals for the, the climate action plan so uh, we've got a lot of work to do, but I think that has been a real benefit to all of this.
1: Now, expanding bike lanes and infrastructure has usually resulted in a fight in San Diego neighborhoods, afraid of losing parking and auto access. Do you see that changing?
8: I, I do. I think once, especially uh, when projects and these bike lanes actually come online, people will see that it's not it's not doing those things. It's not, you know, it's not limiting anyone's ability to drive. It's not creating a major inconvenience for people who choose to drive. And that's fine. If it's their mode of transportation and that's all they want to do, that's fine. But there's so many people that want to ride and really appreciate these these new projects and this new uh, infrastructure and safe spaces. And it, and it really just creates a balanced transportation network, which is what um, you know, the city's been striving for all along and and SandAG as well. So we need a more balanced network for transportation modes. Um, bicycling is one part of that. Pedestrian access is another one, an expanded transit network. All of it is um, creating space and opportunity for people of all modes. and I don't think it's creating uh, those perceived inconveniences or, you know, lack of access if you want to drive.
1: Now, if people and families want to get out there and start discovering San Diego on bikes, where can they get advice to help them get started?
8: Yeah, well, um, yeah, I I, you know, I'm always a fan of checking with your local bike shop. They're always good. Do check with us at the Bike Coalition. Our, our website at sdbikecoalition.org has a lot of resources, has um, routes, has classes. We've been offering free uh, learn to ride traffic skills kind of classes for, for the last couple of years thanks to some good grant funding and it's really it's really been effective and we're doing it virtually in most cases these days where we can you can take a quick you know one hour class and and learn you know commuting tips by bike and then you know when we all return to getting back together we'll we'll lead more of our community rides but what's really been great to see is Uh, just so many families riding and families getting together. And so, you know, to find those safe routes um, where your family can enjoy a a group family bike ride, um, we can help.
1: Okay, then I've been speaking with Andy Hanshaw, Executive Director of the Bike Coalition of San Diego County. And Andy, thank you for your time.
8: Thank you, Maureen.
5: Flashback to last September, the Padres were winding down, showcasing young players before sparse crowds. The SDSU Aztecs were starting a successful football season. The baseball playoffs were about to begin, the NFL season was underway, and NBA and NHL teams were playing preseason games. This year, of course, sports have changed dramatically, along with everything else. Joining me to discuss the upending of American sports by COVID-19 is veteran San Diego sports journalist and author Jay Paris. Jay, welcome back to Midday Edition.
9: Hey, Mark. Thanks for having me on. Always good to be with you. Nice folks.
5: Well, Jay, let's start with some good news. The 2020 Padres are back in the playoffs for the first time in a dozen years. They've got one of baseball's most exciting young teams, but nobody can buy a ticket to watch in person. Tell us about this truncated season, what this odd postseason tournament is going to look like.
9: Yeah, it even sounds funny, doesn't it? Padres in the playoffs. I mean, that's a sentence some fourteen years in the making. Uh, the last time they were in the postseason, Bruce Bochy was was the manager. Jerry Coleman was in the broadcast booth, and uh, Dodgers manager Dave Roberts was playing left field. So that just shows you how long it's been. But really, this has been a um, this has been the dream. This has been the vision. This has been the plan of General Manager AJ Preller to construct a team that can be sustainable, if you will. Uh, Yes, it's great that they're uh, in the playoffs this year, but the way uh, Mr. Preller has constructed this team, uh, they plan on being in the playoffs year after year. And really, Mark, it, it kind of goes back to what we thought, or what the citizens thought, or what Padre fans speculated would happen when Petco Park was built. That was among the uh, selling points for Measure C to get it approved by the voters. Was that uh, this brand new stadium would create revenue streams that would uh, be able that would allow the Padres to be able to entice high priced talent, which translate into successful seasons. And you know, the first uh, two out of three years after the the Petco park open, the, the Padres were in the playoffs. I mean, they were in the playoffs in, in Oh five and Oh six. And, and people were settling in and with a brand new ballpark and go, my goodness, this is going to be fun. But what happened? Nine straight losing seasons, the, uh, a streak they snapped this year with a, a thrilling season and, and they're back in the playoffs and, and Petco looks prettier. Never. The only thing missing are the, are the fans, those, patient Padre fans who deserve to be in there hollering and screaming and high-fiving with each other.
5: Yeah, all shut out this year. I mean, it's just amazing. Now, do you like the Padres' chances in this odd postseason?
9: I do. I mean, they've struggled a little bit down the stretch uh, offensively, but really the key is uh, Denelson Lamette and uh, Mike Clevenger. They're top two pitchers both uh, prematurely left their last outings in a short series that that starting pitching is so important and those are really their top two pitchers so th- that's the big question mark going in do they have the pitching to get there but oh my goodness that offense is so much fun to watch with fernando tatis manny machado will myers eric cosmer there's a lot of there's a lot of there there and just to, to show you how how things have changed The Padres have gone 24 years without getting a single vote in the MVP balloting in the National League. This year, they'll have two players getting plenty of them in Tantista and Machado.
5: Well, let's move to college football. The season was shut down this fall. No games out here, almost any place else. Then it all suddenly changed. The SDSU Aztecs are going to have a season after all. Tell us what happened.
9: Well, um, you know, it's not about the money when they say that it's always about the money. <laughs> I mean, the, uh, college football kind of said the quiet part out loud this year. Uh, it's a house of cards almost that, that these universities are, are built around their athletic programs. Uh, I've heard a good line that, uh, you know, a lot of these university presidents want to have a, uh, university the football team can be proud of or the other way around you know it's uh, somehow these players got uh, designated essential workers and, and they're running back into it but you know the sand could be thrown in the gears quickly if the the positive tests come up and and uh, they have to take some pauses in all this but then the storyline is of course them having to play in carson this year because of that construction all of that got wiped away with the COVID-19. They're going to try to squeeze uh, eight games into eight weeks now, Mark, and that's a that's a pretty tight window. But let's see where it goes. It's um, it, it felt like a college football Saturday this past Saturday with the SEC and all the big big name schools getting back in it. Uh, I think it's easy to start this process. Let's see what the end game looks like.
5: Yeah, and all on TV for now. And, of course, you say that, the, as you note, the Aztecs are going to play up in Carson, the suburb of L.A., where the Chargers played. And I guess they're going to start the uh, construction out there on the Aztec Stadium in Mission Valley. Now, how are the fans reacting to all of this? Uh, Padre fans can only follow the games on TV or radio, read them on bottom in the web or in the newspaper. Uh, how are they feeling about it?
9: You know, I, I think uh, they're heartbroken. Uh in some ways, that uh, you know, the fans are exciting about having a season. Uh, you know, the Aztecs went ten and three last year. Uh, they got seven starters coming back on that top-ranked defense. Uh, they got to figure out the quarterback situation. I think the fans are excited to for Aztecs football. But again, there's there's just such a Sports such a component of, of being there and, and uh, high fiving your buddy and, and cheering for a, a third down conversion, uh, all of that is lost right now. So, I, I think from a distance, those fans are happy, but uh, you know, there's nothing like seeing it live,
5: right? And I want to get into that in a second, but but first, what about other college sports, uh, soccer, lacrosse? Are they scheduled to play, or is it just football? They aren't,
9: and, and that's kind of you know, if I was a parent and my boy was running out there playing, I mean, it's, it's okay for him to play, but my kid can't play the flute in the band, you know, it's okay for football to go on, but, uh, you know, my kid can't play soccer. It, it just, it just reeks, Mark, uh, of schools grabbing money. And it just reeks of, of these teenagers in some regard and early 20 year old kids having really no representation (laughs) looking out for them. And it, it just, um, uh, it, it, it feels different and uh, I hope it all works out. And I understand with the, the rapid testing and, the, and the bubbles, these, these college kids are going to be, and that's fine. But once the practices and once the games are over, uh, you know, there are going to be college kids. And we certainly saw the, the spike at San Diego state with, with the positive COVID COVID test. So I would be reluctant to uh, slap my kid on the rear end and send him out to play football during a pandemic. But uh they say they got the test. They say they're doing the proper protocol. They say they've got it under control. We don't know. And that's really the big mystery of this. Of course, we're hoping for the best. But boy, when you're, when you're dealing with somebody's health, it's, uh, it's a red flag, if you ask me.
5: Before we wrap up, I want your take on what sports in person and what normal seasons and playoffs means to our collective psyche as a, as a country. There's an emotional toll as well to not have our sports, right?
9: Yeah, it's part of the landscape, part of the fabric. You know, sports brings people together. Sports gave us something else to argue about other than politics. <laughs> you know, we right. could uh, argue B- Padres Dodgers instead of Trump Biden for a while. So, you know, baby steps. Uh, there were no sports. Now there's sports. At least uh, you can watch and, and hopefully someday soon. And we are uh, got this in our rearview mirror. We can all get back together and, and tailgate again.
5: Well, we'll see how this odd narrative plays out. I've been speaking with veteran San Diego sports journalist and author Jay Paris. Thanks, Jay.
9: Okay, see you soon, Mark.
1: Musician Ian Brennan made a name for himself recording live shows in a San Francisco laundromat in the 1990s. He went on to become a producer working with lucinda williams ramblin jack elliott and others he then turned to field recordings of musicians around the world like prisoners in malawi and survivors of genocide in cambodia now he's made an album with his own family his sister jane who has down syndrome and her companions with developmental disabilities at an adult care facility in contra costa county Here's California Report Magazine host Sasha Coca with their story. They're calling themselves the Sheltered Workshop Singers. Damn. Yeah. Damn. Yeah.
10: Yeah. 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 Yeah.
11: Yeah. Ian, tell us about Jane. What was it like growing up together?
10: Well, it was great growing up together. Uh, Jane is... And was one of the biggest factors in my life. The most significant individual uh, growing up, really in my whole world, was her. We're only 14 months apart. Music was our language of communicating with one another. Um, I was verbal before my sister was verbal, though she was older. You know, the the day I walked, I walked before she did. She walked the next day. You know, she wasn't about mm-hmm. to see her little brother walking. You know, without being able to do it herself. So, so our destinies were quite entwined. And, and she taught me how to listen. She taught me a way of listening, to listen not to the words, but to listen to the spirit. And the beautiful thing about her is that she is mostly nonverbal, but she knows the words to every song. She just makes them up as she goes along. listen to each other more carefully we learn and we have so much to learn from each other and this is what i learned from my sister is that she may be developmentally delayed and yet her emotional intelligence her eq is higher than almost anybody i've ever met
11: well there's one track i know that you can hear her singing quite clearly on in this album it's called farewell father i love you I do, I do,
7: yeah.
10: Well, my father um, was 85 years old, and uh, we we had had an idea about doing a recording with Jane and her peers for years. We realized that if we're gonna do this, we need to do this now. My my father had been diagnosed with less than a year to live, and um, Jane is now 55, and uh, the life expectancy, unfortunately, for her population, her generation with Down syndrome is 60. We did the recordings with three generations, with my three-year-old daughter, with my father present, and with Jane and, and her peers, many of whom I've known their entire lives. And uh, so that is Jane singing to my father and telling him goodbye. And in fact, he passed away two months after.
11: You were nominated for a Grammy for your recordings of music by prisoners inside Zamba prison in Malawi. And you won a Grammy for Best World Music Album for your recordings with Tanarawin, musicians who have roots in Mali and Algeria.
9: Mm -hmm.
11: And now, coming back to California and turning your mic on your own sister, I wonder what that was like for you to do something so deeply personal, and also what you think this project has in common with your other projects.
10: Well, I mean, it felt like literally coming home and it, it, it really came full circle musically because the music for me really started with, with her. And uh, it's it's been deeply rewarding uh, to hear those voices and again, to see that there are no amusical people. Music is everywhere. It, it's necessary for survival. And I think that the voices here are unlike any others and the things that are expressed are real. This record is comprised of instant compositions with people that had never written songs before, uh, you know, sung into a microphone before, or or played instruments before. Nonetheless, uh, the results were were stunning, and uh, so it was a leap of faith.
11: Well, tell us about the instruments on this album. You know, in your field recording around the world, you've often had people use instruments that are improvised, like glass bottles or, you know, bicycle spokes. What were the instruments like on this album?
10: Well, we used uh, some of the individual's own devices, uh, the wheelchairs, the, the, the canes, there was a yoga ball. It's just 100% live. What you're hearing is something that happened. And most recordings nowadays what we hear is something that never happened. It's a simulation of an event that never actually occurred. I am invested in trying to represent a place in time and a moment in time that can connect people to Reality in such a way that they can hear better. And I think that if at the end of a song you don't feel differently than you felt at the beginning of the song, then that song has failed.
11: Well, I'm thinking about that song that Janet, one of the participants, sings I'm Not Afraid of Anything.
5: I'm not
10: afraid of anything. Janet is in a wheelchair, and uh, she's middle-aged, and um, suddenly, in the midst of the improvisation, she began, as a mantra almost, saying over and over again, I'm not afraid of anything. It, It just seemingly came out of nowhere. And it was very moving. I hear those boasts so often. In, in, in our culture. You know, a lot of macho boasts about, I'm not afraid of anybody. I'm not afraid of anything. I'm a strong person. And then to see somebody saying that, very matter-of-factly, but very clearly owning it and meaning it, was so powerful and uh, moving. I'm just uh, in awe of many of the people on the record and, and and true strength and true grit.
11: There's also a song that I found very moving called Bad Memories by Tom. Blah, 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 blah.
10: Tom is another individual that has difficulty with ambulation as well as being intellectually uh, or developmentally delayed. Uh, He has to wear a helmet due to seizures and um, he again, in the midst of an improvisation began talking about bad memories over and over again and it, it was chilling to think what he might be referring to when you know that their population is literally statistically the most vulnerable population, the most abused population of any in the world Uh, some estimates say that as many as 90 percent of them are sexually abused and or physically abused at some point in their lives so to hear him talking about bad memories was uh was staggering and chilling
11: what message do you think that these songs have for us in a time when there's so much anxiety and fear and isolation in the world.
10: What I've always learned from Jane and her peers uh, throughout my life is is perseverance and tenacity and acceptance, that it's not a surrender, so to speak, but acceptance of limitations and then working with them and beyond them. a woman, Grace, on the album, and she uh, reportedly goes and sings and, and consoles herself by singing often for hours at a time, and she makes up these incredible melodies. They're very intricate
11: and,
10: and, and unique and complex. some people have heard them and they say well what language is that in and it's 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 easy it's in the language of music it's the universal language there are no words to those songs so people are trying to find the meaning and the meaning is embedded in the music itself these lives have value and they may be overlooked but they have incredible value that might a greater contribution to our society than, than some people might have ever considered or, or recognized.
11: Musician and producer Ian Brennan talking about his new album, Who You Calling Slow, featuring the sheltered workshop singers.
1: And that was California Report magazine host Sasha Coca.